Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. So this morning, the whole point of Advent is anticipation. But what are we anticipating? Um, as we move towards Christmas, I've noticed that different churches have different words for for Advent, they put them in different orders. There's the same four, but they put them in different orders. But the order that God has put them in for us this year was hope and now peace, love, and I'm assuming joy comes forth. But it's, there's, you can see a, a, we're going from I don't know Jesus to joy of being in Christ's presence on, um, with his new birth. So these are uh, wonderful uh, ways for us to contemplate our relationship with Jesus during the Advent season. It's easy to get into the hustle and bustle, and and I don't know about you, but I've kind of gotten past a time of life where getting ready for Christmas was huge. Instead, um, right now I'm noticing that getting through the end of the year is huge because my work kind of hollers a lot. And in the middle of that, just remembering that Jesus is my peace. I don't do it on my own. It's him. And that's been critical for me. So I was looking at online at some quotes on peace, and here's a few I wanted to point out. Peace of mind for five minutes. That's what I crave. That was from a Canadian singer. How many of you identify with that? Yeah? Um, and then peace cannot be kept by force. It can only be achieved by understanding. And that was Albert Einstein, and um, I think that that deserved some contemplation. And then somebody said, when things change inside you, things change around you. And I think that's our goal for today, that we could all take a deep breath and realize God is with us, and that shift on the inside of us, we see him start to move in the areas around us. Um, this is the scripture that has been my life verse for my work life. Um, God gave this to me one Sunday. Uh, if you know me very well, you know that I am a completely random and quietness and confidence have never been my strong points. Um, they tied me to my chair in first grade because I would finish my work and then run around and finish everybody else's work. They weren't trying to be mean. They were trying to be loving and kind. But that's been my lifelong thing, right? So this was a verse God gave me. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwellings, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Today we're looking at peace, our search for it and how to get it. We'll start with our readings for, through the... This next week of the Advent, how many of you got your Advent book? Good, this next week. Um, and if you didn't, it's still available on the website. I did a search for it and found it actually as blog posts on Christianity. I think it was Christianity Today's website. Um, but this next week, we're going to be looking at John the Baptist. And so when we look at how people in his time were searching for righteousness, which brings us peace. And then we'll translate it into our lives today. Just so that you know, today we're doing things, we're doing communion. It is Communion Sunday, but we're doing it a little bit differently. If you don't have it yet, make sure that you get it. 
And um, one of these, they're little um, cups of juice. And how many of you have trouble getting these open? Okay, that's me right there. I did find a little, if you just kind of mess with it a little bit instead of trying to open it right away, then you can take the cellophane off. We're gonna do the, um, we're gonna do the bread part and then there'll be time and then we'll do the, and then we'll do the cup part. So I just wanted you to, to be warned that there's a space in there. If you don't have one of these, can you raise your hand? Because we've got some people who are ready to give them out. I see somebody at the way back over there as well too. Okay, um, and um, okay, there we go, let's get started. Um, let's start with John the Baptist. John spoke to the people of his day. He was a voice crying in the wilderness, as the Old Testament tells us. Some believe that John um, might have been part of a religious sect. The, the religious ruling of the day was such that um, Israel had their own governing internal, um, and that was made up of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but they had the ordinary people like you and me, and then there were other sects of people who were dedicated to God. And, and we know that, that um, at the time of his ministry, John was out in the wilderness, and there are some who think he might have been part of the Essenes who actually made all the documents that were found in, in Qumran in the early 50s. Um, but we know, this is what we know for sure about John the Baptist. His dad was a priest who drew the lot to go into the temple and burn incense one year. His mother, Elizabeth, was also from a priestly family. And she was a relative of Mary, who had become the mother of Jesus. While John's father, Zechariah, was burning incense, he drew the lot, he went into the Holy of Holies, and he did, he did the incense. An angel appeared to him and told him that even though he and his wife were old, they would have a child. I just want to put as an aside here that that seems to be a wonderful thing in the Bible. I'm not so sure that I'd want a a small child at this point in my life. I'm just saying. But it was a wonderful thing, mostly because it was part of your legacy, part of how you, it, it, was, it was the social security program of the day. Your kids took care of you. But also it was a part of how you were part of community. Um, so it, it, the angel says, you're going to have a child. And Zachariah, instead of delighting in it and going, oh, thank you, he said how do I know this is true? And I'm thinking, what caused that? The first thing that I think of is that often we get promises from God, but with us, it, it hits us with a little bit of fear. How can I tell anybody this? How can I stand on this? Because it seems so weird and outside my understanding. So Zachariah wanted certainty, and the angel gave him certainty. He said, you will not talk until you have named this child. And he already told him what his name should be John. And sure enough, from the, he was not able to talk until the moment that he wrote down his name will be John. So what's so special about John the Baptist? John 1.9 tells us that John the Baptist came to testify about the light or about Jesus. That was his job. 
Luke 1, 13 to 17 tells us that his purpose more specifically. So let's focus on verses 16 and 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John was born to be a uniter. He was going to turn the hearts of the people towards each other and towards righteousness. So what do you think of when you think of righteousness? Sometimes we think without sin. What about being good or doing good? Or maybe doing the right thing. Or being, but God would say that righteousness is being in right relationship. Last week, I was putting together a shelving unit, and my husband encouraged me to use a square. That would be one of these. It's called a square. I, I want to note it's missing two sides, but it's called a square. And, and the reason is because when you put this on one side of the unit, if I put this on just one corner, then the rest of the unit would be absolutely square. It would be absolutely in line with all other pieces. And if things line up here, then they're fine every place else in the whole, in the whole um, six-piece shelving unit. So that kind of reminds me also of Jesus being our cornerstone, right? That would be this way, cornerstone. Um, <laughs> a square is a right angle. God wants us to be in right relationship with him, ourselves, and others. Based on Jesus. And we even hear this in our slang that we use. Are we square? Right? Righteousness is to be square or to be in right relationship with God and with others. I say relationship with God's self and others for a reason. Because it's, oh, it's easy for me to see myself in right relationship with God, right relationship with others, and ignore myself. And what happens when I do that is my attitude goes way off because I've left myself, I'm, I'm spending my time serving here, serving here, trying to listen here so that I can serve here, and I forget that I exist. And that my whole life, my life, my emotions, all that inside stuff has to be based in Jesus for this actually to be true. So righteousness is to be square or in right relationship with God, self, and others. John's audience was the, was the people of the day and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so we've talked about the fruit of righteousness is peace. So we get peace from being in right relationship with God, self, and others, but how do we attain that right relationship? I've spoken before about righteousness. We can't earn it. Our righteousness is, is the, in the breastplate of righteousness that's in Ephesians 6. That's Jesus. That's letting him be our righteousness. That's the right relationship. So John was preaching to the people of his day, and the Israelites were under Roman rule, but weren't... But, but were allowed to have their own internal structure. So we see that they had the high council, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
On the simplest level, Pharisees and Sadducees were kind of like our denominations. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead and their focus was on following God's rules, being right in the sight of God. So they really were focused on this. And they thought that, the, that, Israel, that for Israel to be in right relationship with God, they just had to follow 613 rules. Thus, we see Jesus talking to the Pharisee who looked at a tax collector, or talking about a Pharisee who looked at the tax collector and thanked God that he was more righteous. I thank God that I am not like other men. Don't a man. Circa 1995, I think. Um, the problem of this type of righteousness, though, is that they become right in their own eyes, but, they're broken, but they've broken relationship with everyone else. So they focus so much on this, they completely forget this. When we're being righteous in our, on our own steam, we aren't being vulnerable to God, and it tends to show in awful attitudes towards others. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of, dead, of the dead, and that's why they were sad, you see. Um, <laughs> their focus was outward, more political. They thought that the Israelites would be safe if they were in good relationship with all their neighbors. So their focus was on being seen well by others and by making sure that that, that external relationship was good. And I think today we sometimes see that in, um, in our justice themes. And we can, and we see this one in, in some of our other themes, right? We can see these themes in, in the way we structure our society today. But the, the fact that they were more externally focused meant that it caused them to seek favor with the Romans who were their rulers at the time. And bringing this into today's world, some of us might think, that we're doing okay if everyone around us is happy. We might bring that, onto, to bring that into a very personal level. This kind of righteousness doesn't lean on God either. It looks for God's favor in pleasant circumstances, but holds God at arm's length as someone to be pleased. And it isn't the open relationship that God wants with us. God wants that vulnerable relationship from the depth of our heart that who we are at our inmost, we let him into those spaces. So do you identify more with the Pharisees or the Sadducees? We all lean one direction or the other. And some of us, it depends on the day, I'm sure. Interesting, we can see that these two factions in the arguments against Jesus, some were engaged um, when he called himself the enraged, Boy, I should read my own writing better. Some were really angry when he called himself the son of God. That would be the Pharisees. Others were really, the reason for wanting him dead was that he would cause Rome to come down hard on them. That would be the Sadducees. Now, we all seek to be right, but only, the only righteousness we can attain is God's righteousness. What is God's righteousness? And this is a question the early church faced a lot. Not only did they have the various Jewish backgrounds that sought righteousness in ways that weren't what God wants, but all the other religions of the world had ways that said, this is how you be okay. Paul was writing to the Ephesians, who were Gentiles, meaning they weren't Jewish, and in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he first tells them that we're saved by faith, not by works. 
And then he goes on to discuss the right relationship with God and with the Jewish Christians. And you'll see there that they that they had lots, you see that they had lots of conflicts in that time. Some of the Jewish Christians were coming in and saying, well, the Gentiles can't be Christians unless they first follow all the Jewish rules. And, And then they had various problems with the outside religions becoming part of what they thought should be in a worship service. And Paul speaks against those too. And so some of the Jews said the Gentiles, you know, had to follow those 613 rules. But we, um, as we look through these scriptures today, we're also going to teach a little bit on this tradition we have called communion. Because um, this is how we remember. Jesus said on his last dinner with with the disciples, take, eat, this is my body. This is the cup of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. But sometimes I think this becomes a function for us and we don't really know how to apply it so that we are vulnerable before God and let him into those deep spaces. So on a bigger space today, as we look at peace between ourselves and God, ourselves and others, peace in general, and how Jesus is the core of that, we're going to use communion as the teaching tool. We were talking about adversity between the different factions of believers. And we have the same division today on so many different levels. And I think the last two years have spotlighted much of this. It isn't easy in our families. It isn't easy in our workplaces or even in our churches. People come from different backgrounds and say, this is important. And then other people say, this is important. And the problem is is that they both say, I am right, therefore you are wrong. I want to, um, I have a friend who says, if you only have two answers, you need to keep looking. But I think a lot of times we think we live in a binary world. Just yes and no, you know, one or the other. And we serve an infinite God that has a whole lot more numbers than ones and zeros. There's always more than two answers. And really, when you read this scripture and study it, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, there's more answers than these two. Let me give you a third way. So let's start with Ephesians 2, 13 to 15. By now, okay, I'm going to read up there. But now in Christ Jesus, You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And Interestingly, in the original language, there's a play on words that doesn't come out in any of the English translations. He's really saying that um, it uses the word flesh three times. We only see it once as Jesus being the flesh that brings it all together. But in the first two parts, it's actually saying this group 
is in their flesh and this group is in their flesh, but Jesus, by his death on the cross, is healing the divide. So when we think about the bread, we think about the body. And Jesus knows something about adversity. As the, let's think about this. As the crowd raised their fist and cried, crucify him, he had the power to call down heaven and save himself. He had the right to become angry and stand up there and call out their sins one by one. even as they railed at him. Instead, when the soldiers came to arrest him, he healed the servants that Peter had lopped off his ear. He spoke civilly to Pontius. He endured the beatings by the soldiers and the jeers of the crowd as he walked the road to Golgotha. While on the cross, he reached out to a thief hanging beside him and he purposefully spoke to John about taking care of his mother. Even in the most difficult place, both physically and emotionally and physiologically, when all when you're under that kind of stress, all your all your hormones go nuts. Your fight or flight is on full alert. That's just a physiological response. When Jesus was enduring all of that, he was able to walk in love. He exuded peace to those around him. Now here's the thing. The same spirit that lives in Jesus now lives in you if you receive him into your heart. When Jesus rose from the dead and returned to heaven, he released the Holy Spirit who actively is working in and through us to help others know God loves them, and wants to have a relationship with them. He's actively working in and through us to help us become more and more like Jesus. We won't get there till we're done. If you've arrived, then please write me a note. Um, (laughs) But the truth of the matter is is that we reach plateaus where we feel like we've done everything and, and God has worked on us well. If you've reached one of those plateaus, it's time to say, Jesus, I need to I need to see my sin more. Because when God shows us the sin, then he removes it and it brings us closer to Jesus. And it's easy for us to get into those places where we have pseudo-peace, where we say, I'm okay, but we're really not leaning on Jesus. We're not having him be our peace. So Jesus... Um, with the disciples said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. And as we take the bread today, and if you are, we practice open communion here. So if you are a believer, then we, you're welcome. And um, if you don't know Jesus, now would be a really good time to say, Jesus, I need you to teach me. I give you authority in my life to help me learn what all this is about. That's opening up your heart to Jesus and letting him come in and be Lord with you. And it's a process. We learn a little bit each day on how to let more of us go and let Jesus be those pieces. 
So when we take communion today, we remember all the things that Jesus did in his body, including how he healed others, how he brought healing and justice to the downtrodden, how he loved people who were awful to him. And he remembered that because of that, we can depend on him to help us do the same. So I'm going to pray over the bread, and we'll go ahead and take it. Lord Jesus, as we remember you today, and how you demonstrated in your body what is available to us to walk in peace even in the difficult circumstances. As we go into the holidays, which sometimes emphasizes the hurt in our families, Lord, we need you to be our peace. We need you to fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to walk in the peace that this body represents with those around us. Lord, help us see ourselves and others as you do. Let's go ahead and take the bread. After the bread, we take the cup, and it's going to be a trick to make sure that, to find out if this sticks to the roof of my mouth or not. Um, see, before Jesus, only one priest a year went into the Holy of Holies where God dwelt in the temple. God stayed behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies, and that's where he resided on earth. He occasionally, we see where he interacted with individuals, but as the people as a whole, he stayed in the Holy of Holies. However, Scripture tells us that when Jesus died, there was a mighty earthquake, and the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. I just love that picture because you can hear God's heart from the beginning of time that when the relationship became broken, he wanted to be with us. He wanted our hearts towards, turned towards him. But as after Adam and Eve sinned, you do see him still interacting a little bit longer. He came down and he spoke to Adam and Eve and he interacted with Cain. We see him interacting a little more, but we see people's hearts turning away until you get to the Tower of Babel where they said, what? We will build a tower to heaven, right? We'll do it all on our own. And our hearts turned away from God. But you see the cry of his heart throughout scripture that God wants to be with us. But he also warns throughout scripture that his presence can be deadly because our hearts weren't turned towards his. And so he knows that Jesus' death is going to repair that breach. He knows that it's going to make it possible for him to be with people. And I can just hear him and see him on his toes, just so excited to go that the earthquake starts rumbling and the, and the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom as Jesus dies. And the Holy Spirit starts to work. And then after Jesus returns to heaven, he releases the Holy Spirit. We don't go any place on earth that, that the Holy Spirit isn't there working on God's behalf to bring people towards him. There was a wall between us and God. And God became someone far off to please or to seek favor from, 
not someone near to get to know and let ourselves be known. But God, Jesus' death on the cross broke that wall down. And we read in Ephesians, the next scripture, and in one that Jesus, in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. This now is talking about, we talked about peace between people, and now this is talking about peace between us and God. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of what we're remembering here, we're members of God's household. When we take the the cup, we remember that God is for us, that Jesus paid the price so that we are no longer at odds with God, but that we have only to reach out and delight in him. We don't have to work our way into God's good graces. He loves us and is for us. There was a time in our lives where I walked away from God for a while. I was like, God, this isn't working. Um, And I thought it lasted less than six months, but um, because I don't do well without God. And, but I expected when I came back into church to have to work my way into God's good graces. And you know what I found? That he never left. The same intimacy that I had left from was there again. I didn't have to work to get back to a level of intimacy with God. He had already done it. All I had to do was show up. Sometimes life gets hard and we think, this just isn't working. I can tell you from experience, it works even less to try it on your own. And when it isn't working, it's because God is taking us to new levels to lean into him. And we get to experience new vulnerability with him so that we trust him more. The cup represents the fact that we don't have to work our way into God's good favor Jesus paved the way, and God is with us, waiting for us to allow him close. We only have to ask and allow him near. So if you prepare the cup, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Did you notice how long it took me to peel off the top without splashing? The first time I did this, it was a wreck. Um, Jesus, I just thank you so much for what you did on the cross. Lord, you, you paved the road for, between us and heaven so that we don't have to try hard. We can enter boldly into the throne room and just tell you what's on our hearts. And we don't just have to come with our list of needs, but we can come in vulnerability with our pain, with our disappointment in ourselves and life, with our disappointment in you. And you don't get mad. You don't, that's not breaking relationship. It brings us closer to you. Thank you, Lord, that you, for Jesus' death on the cross, so that we don't have a God that's far off, but one that is near and understands us. Go ahead and take the cup. Finally, Paul calls us to let Jesus be the cornerstone of our life. You remember the cornerstone? You remember the square? 
We have relationship with God, relationship with others. Let's try it this way. And ourselves. But Jesus needs to be the cornerstone of our lives. He needs to be the foundation of our peace. Because when we're trying to do either one of these on our own, we're creating a situation where we're, we're just as bad as the Tower of Babel trying to do things on our own. And I don't know about you, but when I try to do things on my own, I do sound like God's mixed up my language and things come out of my mouth that I didn't know was possible, right? But when Jesus is my cornerstone and I take those broken relationships to him and stop trying to fix everything myself and wait for him to do it, then I start to see miraculous intervention. The last part of our scripture today, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his peace. This is a promise to his church, and it's a promise to you. When we let go and become vulnerable to God, admitting that we can't make things happen, when we invite him in to fix things, We open ourselves to let him work from the inside out. Slowly we start to see him changing us. And some weeks it might feel like we've gone three steps forward, two steps back. But as we keep letting Jesus be our alignment point, then we keep depending on him for our righteousness. And we start to see others differently. And even in the most difficult relationships, we move from a heart of war to a heart of peace, from seeing other people as objects or problems or things to be fixed, to seeing other people as reasonable human beings who have a reason behind their action, and God works from the inside out, and we can release them to him and not hold all that ourselves and try to fix things. So as we, we're going to take a moment now for reflection, and I have a few questions for you to contemplate while we go through this song. Where do you need God's help to be squared away? Do you need his help to come in right relationship with him? Do you see yourself as he does? Or do you need his help to help you walk in right relationship with others? Jesus, thank you that you are our peace. You work in our relationships with others and you bring peace and we can trust you in that. And you have created peace between us and God so that we can enter the throne room boldly and that we can make ourselves be known to you and give you authority in our lives to change us and help us to see ourselves and others as you do. We pray that you would do that this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we get the third part of Advent. God is love. And as you go through this week, I want to remind you, uh, take out tomorrow at noon on Facebook and check out the group section of the church app for winter. You'll see Alpha. You'll see a great Lisa Turkhurst study on women. 
uh, for women on Wednesday nights. It's not supposed to be this way is the name of the study. And then Wednesday night study for men also. Don't forget to come back tonight at 6 p.m. for encounter. It's a one-hour worship service. And we get to just spend that time and let God do the work deep inside us. So let's stand now and read the benediction together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.